from sea to shining sea in the United States and around the world on the internet, welcome to the 64th episode of InfoBlips. My name is John Hings and I am the host of this podcast. Today's date is December 8th, 2020. Stand by for verifiable factual information. At this time, I'd like to give a warm welcome to our international audience um, from Ireland, Germany, United Kingdom, France, Belgium, and Austria. Thank you very much, and I do appreciate your emails, and thank you for listening in. And hey, I'm really humbled. Uh, InfoBlips is growing. I want to thank Amazon Music and Audible for accepting InfoBlips on their platform. I am seriously humbled and thankful. You may also listen to InfoBlips on the following platforms, Anchor, Apple Podcast, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and of course, Spotify. You are welcome to contact me by email. My email address is infoblips at activist.com. That's infoblips at activist.com. As most of you know that follow InfoBlips, it has been on pause for a while. I was traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast. I am now on the East Coast of the United States. And while I was performing the podcast from the West Coast, my East Coast family was setting up a, an office that is being turned into a studio in the basement here. It is beyond belief. It is more than I ever could imagine. Thank you very much, family. I really appreciate you. I really sincerely appreciate that you believe in me. Thank you. Words cannot express how humbled and thankful that I am, and I am going to do my very best to make you proud. Okay, with all that said, let's get down to business. This has been an insane year, but this has been an insane three weeks. So in the last podcast, I mentioned Safe Harbor Day. Today is Safe Harbor Day. Today is the day that all of the court battles and all of the arguing regarding the election and who the electors are going to be should be completed today, but it won't be. And I think I said in my last podcast, the reason why is because the Trump and his administration are attempting to cause the United States citizens to doubt the election process. If he can get them to doubt the election process, and if he can get it, one of just one of the cases heard in front of the Supreme Court, it is going to be interesting to see how they will rule. If the Supreme Court chooses to overturn the will of the American people, we will no longer have a democracy. We will have more or less a theocracy with a authoritarian strongman as king. Donald Trump has not and will not concede the election that he lost by over 5 million votes. Um, He's going to continue to play this game, 
because he's attempting to not set up a run for 2024. He, it looks like he's trying to set up some type of media network that would be uh, an alternative to Fox News. And it would be a platform in which he can continue to spread disinformation as he's doing right now, right out, out and out lies. I'm not going to call it disinformation. He's lying to the American people and psychologically manipulating them for his personal financial gain. Of course, that is my commentary. Uh, I like to deal with verifiable factual information. So let's get to it. Let's get to what's been happening over the last two or three weeks here in the United States. Well, I guess the most important thing uh, for the U.S. that's been going on is the presidential election, the 2020 presidential election, where on uh, November the 3rd, Donald Trump lost the election to uh, Joe Biden. However, Donald Trump will not concede. And, and instead of conceding like most presidents in the past have done, and I'll, I'll be politically correct with that, uh, presidents in the past have done, Donald Trump has chosen to uh, engage in lawsuits in the battleground states. Uh, days after, that's all he did. They've been filing, I think they filed, what, 50 lawsuits uh, in the days following the uh, November 3rd, 2020 elections. So let me give you a rundown uh, of what has been happening with the lawsuits and where we stand today. So let's start with Pennsylvania, which was a battleground state. Uh, Trump campaigns began legal action there uh, and pursued several legal actions in the Keystone State uh, where the president-elect Biden won by 81,000 votes. 81,000 votes. Now, the November 4th lawsuit that the Trump administration uh, filed against Pennsylvania basically said that the observers were not allowed to meaningfully, that's meaningfully, watch uh, the vote count in Philadelphia, in a county in Philadelphia. So on November 5th, a Philadelphia judge uh, granted the Trump administration in their campaign's request to observe Philadelphia poll workers as they process the remaining mail-in ballots. And the city of Philadelphia promptly filed an appeal to the state Supreme Court to overturn that decision. On November 17th, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court rejected the Trump campaign's claim that the election officials had failed to provide campaign observers meaningful access to the count uh, on a vote of five to two found that election officials followed the law, providing the Trump campaign sufficient access to the workers who were opening mail-in ballots. Pennsylvania simply has no requirement that say how close the observers must be placed to watch the process and the count. Now that brought on a court case, uh, Trump campaign versus the Philadelphia County Board of Elections. So alleging that the poll workers were not being allowed proper observation of the vote count as previously granted, the Trump campaign filed a federal lawsuit the evening of November 5th intending to stop 
the Philadelphia vote count, a judge ultimately denied that request. So the Trump lawyers have been really busy. Uh, there's another uh, lawsuit, Trump campaign versus Kathy Brookbar and the County Board of Elections in Philadelphia. So now this lawsuit had a little, had some teeth to it. Uh, the Trump campaign filed a lawsuit that the state county secretary, uh, Kathy Brookbar, illegally extended the deadline to mail-in voters to supply missing ID requirements from November 9th through November 12th. Uh, a judge ordered the Pennsylvania State Department to further segregate any mail-in ballots with missing voter ID information provided after November the 9th, which the person had already did. She said she had already separated them because she thought that there may be some type of uh, concern. So she, they weren't even in the count. Anyway, the Trump campaign won that one. They were correct. And um, the people that supplied information after the November 9th deadline, their votes were not counted. And there's another lawsuit. Uh, Trump campaign versus Montgomery County Board of Elections. And, side note. I wonder if we the people are paying for all these failed and frivolous lawsuits. So once again, on November 5th, the Trump campaign filed a petition in Montgomery County seeking to invalidate nearly 600 absentee mail-in ballots that lack complete address information. On November the 13th, a judge denied the petition noting that the ballot instructions do not inform the voter that their address is required and that omission of the address would invalidate their ballot. The Trump campaign subsequently filed uh, and then withdrew an appeal. And we'll move on to yet another lawsuit. On November the 11th, the Trump campaign filed six new cases in Philadelphia, five were brought in Philadelphia counties asked a judge to throw out more than 8,000 ballots they said meet technical difficulties such as uh, street addresses and or date next to the signature each case focused on a different category of the ballot that the county agreed to count a sixth case filed in the nearby Bucks County asked the court to toss out 2,800 ballots that they argued were invalid due to a late arrival and that there were defects. And on November 13th, a judge denied all five of the Philadelphia County lawsuits affirming the count of a total of 8,329 absentee and mail-in ballots. So in the Philadelphia suburb, Bucks County on November 19th, a judge dismissed the complaint lawsuits that had sought to toss out 2,177 ballots based on missed words or the address line improperly sealed, the, sec the security uh, envelopes were improperly sealed, a judge, uh, who was it, Robert Baldy, a judge, Robert Baldy, said that 
said it would be an injustice to disenfranchise these voters based on technical errors with the ballot. Baldy noted repeatedly that the Trump administration and the Trump team specifically stipulated that there exists no evidence of any fraud, misconduct, or any improper actions with respect to the challenged ballots. So basically the Trump administration wanted to throw out uh, 2,177 ballots basically because of minor irregularities. People didn't sign their name correctly or all the way, not correctly, but all the way. The addresses uh, were not necessarily there to prevent fraud according to the judge, Judge Baldy. So they threw the case out. It had no merit. These are technicalities that the Trump administration have been going after simply because they lost the election. This happens in just about every election. I have worked elections and this happens. It's not like this is something that, oh, fraud happened. There was no fraud, period. The Trump administration, his lawyer team, specifically stipulated there's no evidence of any fraud, misconduct, or any improperly done things with the respect of the challenged ballots. So basically, they didn't see any fraud. They just want to challenge the ballots. And I really think this is just all a tactic to draw things out. These are frivolous lawsuits, and these lawyers should seriously be held accountable. So two days after Joe Biden uh, won Philadelphia, was the apparent winner of the Philadelphia presidential election, um, the Trump campaign filed a catch-all lawsuit in the United States District Court in Pennsylvania asking the court to prohibit the state from certifying or at least turn over 680,000 mail-in ballots cast in Philadelphia. Now, these lawsuits were focused uh, on mail-in ballots processed from Democratic-leaning counties like Allegheny and Philadelphia and argues that they created, that Philadelphia created an illegal two-tiered voting system that subjected all in-person voters to a greater burden and scrutiny than those of a mail-in ballots. So the American Civil Liberties Union, the NAACP, and League of Women Voters uh, asked a judge on November 10th to allow them to join the Philadelphia people of Philadelphia for fighting the Trump administration's campaign's latest lawsuit. And, and here's the rub on that. Those areas were minority areas. And I, I guess he figured that they were gonna vote uh, Democratic. So he's attempting to alleviate these votes that will overturn uh, Biden's win in that state. So on November 17th, uh, President Trump's uh, personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, alleged that a systematic effort by the Democratic machine in Philadelphia and in the Allegheny counties served to deny poll watchers, once again, the chance to observe the vote closely. 
with which resulted in 1.5 million votes were entered illegally. Way more than enough to overturn the results of the election, according to Rudy Giuliani. And once again, Mr. Giuliani uh, basically said that there was two tiered systems, one for people to mail in voters and one for people that went to the polls and voted in person and that the people at the polls that voted in person bared a more stringent, I guess, identification process than the mail-in voters did. So now look, there's a Republican judge. His name is Matthew Brand. He said he's a long-term Republican judge, and he said that he would not allow the Trump campaign to dismiss thousands of votes, votes and basically close the case without a ruling. And, of course, Rudy Giuliani and the Trump administration filed a complaint or a second complaint the next day. On November 24th, 21st, excuse me, a federal judge dismissed the lawsuit. Uh, Matthew Brand wrote that he would not disenfranchise almost 7 million voters as the Trump campaign had sought. And again, there was no evidence of fraud or wrongdoing. The Trump campaign could not provide any evidence of wrongdoing. They did not even claim that there was fraud. So now let's move along to what? Chatham County, Georgia. The case of Chatham County. So the Trump campaign filed a lawsuit along with the Georgia Republican Party. We gotta remember this, that those Republican parties in those states agreed with the Trump campaign. So on November 4th, again, these guys are really busy, in Chatham County seeking to order the county to compile, store, and account for all ballots received after the deadline of 7 p.m. on election day. And a Chatham County Judge James Bass dismissed the suit during a hearing on the following morning, citing that there was lack of evidence that ballots in question or that they referred to in the petition were received after the deadline and there was no type of proof. Okay, let's move on to Fulton County. Uh, Trump filed a lawsuit in Superior Court uh, in Fulton County on December 4th. These people were really busy. Uh, officially contesting the results uh, of the election and requiring a do-over. The suit alleges that the state's electoral code was disregarded, abandoned, ignored, altered, and otherwise violated, thereby allowing a sufficient number of illegal votes to be included. And that was also dismissed. Hey, to my audience, I apologize. I know that this is very boring. However, it's extremely important to understand that the Trump administration and his campaign have been filing lawsuits since November the 4th. This was planned. This was not, oh, look, there's something wrong. This was planned ahead of time. 
I don't know any lawyer that would be able to just make a or file a complaint the same day or the day after they supposedly observed something going wrong in the election. So a judge in Michigan said that that afternoon that they would deny the plea, largely because, largely because the counting had already been completed. On November 6th, Judge Cynthia Steffens issued a formal order denying the Trump campaign request to halt counting in Wayne County, which includes Detroit, specifically citing the lack of evidence and detail provided by the campaign. So once again, that afternoon, the campaign, Trump campaign filed an appeal in the Michigan Court of Appeals, which the court did not accept, calling it defective because it lacked key documents. The campaign filed supporting briefs on November the 30th. On December the 4th, the court rejected the campaign's application for appeal, finding it moot because the vote had already been certified on November the 17th. Once again, this is the definition of frivolous lawsuits, and I believe it's basically a tactic to call into question the results of the November 3rd, 2020 election. On November 10th, the Trump campaign filed a new lawsuit seeking to halt the certification of election results in Michigan. And basically, they were saying that they had 100 poll workers that allegedly were involved or saw some type of fraud across the state. Uh, many of these had already, these people had already been publicly debunked by state officials. On November the 19th, the Trump campaign announced it would voluntarily withdraw its lawsuit. And as I said, it, the Trump campaign filed lawsuits in all of the battleground states. And I'm going to try to reduce this down because it is kind of uh, tedious. In Arizona, he filed a complaint. Uh, his campaign filed a complaint, and it was dropped. In Arizona, the Trump campaign versus Hobbs, the status in the court said it was dismissed as moot. In Nevada, the Trump campaign filed another complaint uh, on November 5th. Again, they were really busy on November 5th. However, that case was denied because of lack of evidence. In Wisconsin on December 1st, the Trump campaign uh, filed another petition in Wisconsin at the Wisconsin Supreme Court challenging the outcome of the presidential election that was certified the day before. That was also voted against. So it really was my intent to go through each one of these lawsuits. And as I read them, I'm not going to go through all this. It's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, just know that there is at least 55 cases that have been filed by the Trump campaign, uh, including directly involving Donald Trump. Uh, cases, at least 43 of these cases have been straight out denied. And judges are really not happy with the Trump campaign and or Donald Trump simply because they did not prepare. And what 
it is the burden of the person that is accusing someone of the crime to provide evidence. They have not provided any evidence. And these cases are frivolous. And actually, I'm wondering again, are we the people paying for these lawsuits? And if we are, there should be some type of mechanism to fall back on Donald Trump personally. Uh, of course, they're fundraising, so they probably have millions to do this with. Uh, and it doesn't matter. I don't think that the people of the United States should pay for this. So all of this has come down to a last-ditch effort. The Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has filed a lawsuit in the Supreme Court against four key states, one by President-elect Joe Biden, alleging they unlawfully enacted changes to their voting laws that led to election irregularities and skewed the results of the presidential election. Now, this Paxton has nothing to lose because he's facing accusation of bribery and abuse of office. So what he's doing, uh, the lawsuit is asking the Supreme Court to extend the December 14th deadline for states to certify the presidential election to allow for an investigation into alleged irregularities. He also wants the court to block the use of unlawful election results without review and recertification by the state's legislatures. So Paxson filed the lawsuits against Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Philadelphia, all of which have certified their election results and formalized Joe Biden's victory over President Trump. Mr. Biden was projected the winner of the presidential election November 7th. And this began the transition process. However, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, who election night called for the election results to stop counting. He wanted them to stop counting because he was ahead and he said, okay, you can stop now, I'm ahead, I, I won. That's pathetic, it is really, really pathetic. So the Supreme Court of the United States have set a deadline for 3 p.m. Thursday for all four states to file a response before they're gonna be weighing in on the case. So Donald Trump is calling this the big one and all of his, the people that support him are saying this is it, this is the one that they're supposed to win and it's going to overturn the will of the American people. And Donald Trump has also said that he would personally be intervening because our country needs a victory. Okay, Flash News Bulletin, our country has a victory, and as soon as you leave office, we will have a huge victory. We, the people of the United States, have spoken. You are a loser. Get over it. And I'm also going to say the Supreme Court should act very cautiously. If they overturn the will of the people of the United States of America, we will not have a democracy anymore. That is clear. It is clear that Donald Trump lost this election. You know, last time, and my wife reminded me of this, last time Donald Trump was yelling, oh, it's rigged, oh, it's rigged, it's no good, this is a rigged election. 
simply because he wasn't even planning on winning. Okay, but then when he won, uh, it wasn't rigged. Uh, it was all good because he won. I mean, there was no lawsuits, nothing after he won the rigged election in 2016. And it's very interesting. We in the States think that this is it. Nothing else in the world is happening. Well, we're wrong. There's a lot happening in other parts of the world right now uh, that requires attention. However, if the United States doesn't get its act together and if the Supreme Court doesn't act very cautiously, it won't matter to us because it's going to be difficult for the United States to continue to move forward. So we'll know Thursday or probably Friday or maybe uh, Monday, next Monday, uh, what the Supreme Court's going to do. The day Thursday is going to be when the states that are being sued have to respond. And after that, we'll see what happens. And and, and I'll do another podcast on that. Right now, we're going to move on because there's a lot more I want to talk about. I don't want to go over, but this is huge. I mean, there's a lot going on in the world and in the United States. So we're going to move on past Donald Trump. My wife said it's going to be really good. I'll be very grateful when I don't have to say Donald Trump's name anymore. And that is heartfelt truth. When I don't have to say the words Donald Trump anymore, I will be very grateful. I just want him to go away. Just go away. Our country needs to seriously heal. However, with his influence, we will not heal. He is having his supporters conduct violent acts against people that do not agree with them. And again, I deal with factual, verifiable information. So this is not nothing coming off the top of my head. I can tell you that the Trump administration and the Trump cultists, and I call them cultists because this is not like a a, a following of a campaign. These people are actually hurting people. They are attacking people. And it's being held up as them being, I guess, uh, patriots. You're not a patriot. You're a coward. That's what people are. These proud boys and all these white supremacists, they're basically cowards. In a group, they're very powerful. Alone, they're just pathetic. Again, that part was my commentary. (laughs) Now, let me give you something or some information that will support my hypothesis. Those of you that follow InfoBlips, you understand the subjects that I discuss here have been researched and we like to call them, or I like to call them, uh, verifiable factual information. When I say that white supremacists are the most dangerous groups in the United States, it's not just because I decided to say that. Um, I didn't really decide to say that. You know who said that? On October 6th of 2020, Homeland Security reports white supremacists remain deadliest U.S. terror threat. Now, this is Homeland Security. White supremacist extremists remain the deadliest domestic terror threat to the United States, according to the Department of Homeland Security. 
in their first annual Homeland Threat Assessment, which detailed a range of threats uh, from election interference, unprecedented um, violence. And now here's the background. Since 2018, white supremacists have conducted more lethal attacks in the United States than any other domestic extremist movement demonstrating a long-standing intent to target racial and religious minorities members and the LBGTQ community. Now, white supremacists also attack those that they believe support multiculturalism and globalism. That's another thing. We'll talk about globalism later because I got a friend that keeps saying the globalist, the globalist, the globalist. It's ridiculous. And not only are the white supremacists um, attacking people, but they're issuing death threats, which is very serious right now. Most of the election people who are elected to office that do not agree with Donald Trump or the white supremacists, they have to have protection now because these people, the white supremacists, have threatened to kill people and their families. And, and we can't forget uh, Michigan's governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, was targeted for kidnapping and what they call a trial and being put to death. These are Trump supporters. And also, doing the recount and counting after the election, election officials across the United States said that they were worried about threats from the protesters. These were Donald Trump supporters. They're making credible threats. When you see Donald Trump supporters armed, heavily armed, most of them, because they believe in the Second and I believe in the Second Amendment, but I don't believe you have the right to threaten people that do not agree with you, and especially threatening elected officials. This is a new low for the United States. This is something that we have not actually seen before. However, with the onset of the Trump era, this is what we're getting. When he did not denounce white supremacists, when he did not tell the Proud Boys to cut it out, when he told them to stand by, stand by, that's what the president of the United States said to a violent white supremacist group to stand by. America's in very dangerous times. But my question, is this the America you want to live in? I mean, you have Donald Trump talking about Antifa, however, the white supremacists are the people that are actually doing the violent crimes, not Antifa. I don't want to live in a country where during an election, we have to be afraid to go to the polls and vote because there might be people there who do not agree with me with guns. I do not want to live in America where I have to explain to my grandkids that some people just not only do not like them because of your color, but will kill you 
because you don't agree with them and they don't like you because of your race. This is not the America that I want to live in. And that's why um, I did not vote for Donald Trump. He has brought out the anger and the people that were once in the fringes that would hide their faces with masks or with uh, sheets. And they're now mainstream. They march without the hoods on. They're making threats against American people. And listen, you know, and I tell people, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm an American. There are some times that I side with Republicans, and I was a Republican for years. But there are times when I side with Republicans. There's times when I side with Democrats. I am like most Americans are. We are centrists. However, when you have an extreme right-wing president that surrounded himself with white supremacists and alt-right groups, it brings you, or it brings me, to pause for caution. I'm reading things on white supremacist websites, uh, and I do go to them to check out what they're saying. Basically, if this Supreme Court thing doesn't work, they're going to start a, or they're claiming they're going to start a civil war. And I don't even know how to answer that. All I can say is that I am praying for the good of this nation to come out and to beat evil. Um, And I do believe that the white supremacist, uh, Donald Trump, and all of his enablers are very evil. And the people, the, the, the Republicans that are not speaking up right now, we need to hold them accountable. They need to be held accountable and taken out of office the first time in two years when there's a vote. The first opportunity, vote them out. That's our solution at this time. Hey, I'm going to... Actually, I really have to, and I advise you, look for good stories. Listen to, you know, good things that are going on. There's enough bad stuff happening, and I have to do the research of most of this, and it really sometimes gets to me. Um, And I find myself watching uh, Christmas movies, and it, it works for me, and listening to Christmas songs. And it may sound corny to you, but it works for me. And this story... This personal means, actually. Um, Victor J. Glover became the first black astronaut to arrive at space station for long-term stay. And this is phenomenal. I actually know Victor Glover's father. Um, We went to school together. He was a cop. Um, I was in law enforcement. And uh, I, I knew him. Very good guy. Really good guy. Um, and raised a wonderful son. Uh, he's 44 years old. He's a commander in the uh, United States military and an astronaut. Uh, and he's now aboard the uh, International Space Station. And I'm very, very happy 
very, very proud of him. We all watched the launch with my grandkids the watching, and it was wonderful. We had a very proud moment, um, and we congratulate Victor J. Gulliver, and uh, we're very proud of him, and we congratulate his parents. Uh, well, that's it. That's all for me today. Um, I am I'm going to be making a lot of more podcasts, and I do apologize for the uh, the pause. But now, since I have an office and a studio that I'm building, thanks to my family, and I am very, very happy. And the reason why this one took so long is because while I was doing the podcast yesterday, I was interrupted. And my daughter and my wife and my son-in-law and my grandkids brought in a chair that my wife bought me for my office that has a massager in it. I am so stoked. So I'll be doing a lot more podcasts, guys. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I know I went kind of long. I'm going to do more so I can go kind of short next time. And as always, go out and make it a great life. Thanks, guys. See you later.